Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings absolutely lives up to the hype. Why it's sitting inside my top five MCU films and what those wild post credit scenes mean coming up right now on 15 Minutes of Marvel. There was an idea. Because if we can't protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. We're going this all day. What are they called again? Annulax batteries. Harvey Larry batteries. As far as I'm concerned, that's America's ass. I control the truth. Mysterio is the truth. Boom. You looking for this? What's up and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Marvel, the only podcast that gives you Marvel reviews, news, and rumors in pretty much 15 minutes. I'm your host, Ethan Simi. Your boy just got done watching Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, fam. Woo! I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm riding this Shang-Chi wave. It's about 11.30 p.m. right now when I'm recording this episode of the podcast. I'm too jacked. I'm jacked to the tits! I can't stop thinking about Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. My goodness. What an awesome movie. I've got a spoiler-filled review of the film coming up for you right now. Let me repeat that in case you missed it, in case you weren't listening, in case, you know, you got distracted by by a squirrel, something outside maybe. Spoiler-heavy. Spoiler-filled, all spoilers, all day long. Go see Shang-Chi first. Then come back, listen to the podcast. I don't want to be the guy that spoils it for you. And trust me when I say, you don't want it spoiled. You want to enjoy this experience to the max. You want to be surprised. You want to love everything that you see for the very first time. So go see the movie. Then come back, listen to the spoiler-free review. So I went and saw it in IMAX. Of course, of course I saw it in IMAX. This should be no surprise to anybody anybody at all. Uh, IMAX, I know you're listening. If, if you want to support the podcast, become the sponsor of the show, I'm, I'm more than happy to have you on board. DM me, get at me. I'm open, open to do business over here. Saw it in IMAX, loved it in IMAX. I, I, I just love, I just love going to see things in IMAX. I don't know. You got to go with the big screen, you know? You got to go as big as you can go and... It's always a pleasure seeing it on such a large screen. Now, I will say, I was really, really excited. I tweeted about it earlier earlier in the day. I was really, really excited to see the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer on the big screen, on an IMAX screen. I was hyped. I was ready to witness it again and live it on the big screen with the big noises and the big sounds. And it did not happen. I did not get a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer in front of Shang-Chi. I only got an Eternals final trailer, which was good, enjoyable. There's no doubt about that. Every single time I can watch the Eternals trailer on an IMAX screen and see those words from Academy Award-winning director Chloe Zhao pop on the screen, I'm one happy camper. I would have loved to see a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, so I was a little bummed about that. So I was I was a little sad, but you know, it's okay. It's okay. It's nothing you can do about it. It is what it is. I do want to start this review by saying a a couple things about Shang-Chi. I was not hyped. I like, in terms of my hype level for Shang-Chi versus Eternals versus No Way Home, Shang-Chi was easily the bottom of the list. There was no question about it. It just kind of had that filler vibe to me. I was way more excited for Eternals, way more excited for No Way Home. And I thought like, okay, cool, this is a great addition to the MCU. And, you know, kind of had that feeling to it of like, this guy's got to get introduced because of something coming up in the future and you can't just toss him in. So I had that feeling initially and I wasn't really excited from the trailers that I saw. 
I think the official poster for this movie sucks. I think it's a terrible poster. I just am going to flat out say that. If you go on the IMDb page for it, you'll see the official poster. It's like the blue one. I don't I don't like it. I don't think it looks very good. There are several other fan-made posters that are really, really quite a lot better. And the trailer to this did not get me super hyped, but I will say it does not reveal anything. You don't know anything about this movie based on the trailers itself. I want to talk about the storyline. The storyline is what carries this movie and makes it as good as it is. It's heartfelt. It's family-focused. It gives every single character a few extra layers to them and really tells us why we care so much about the storyline. Why are we watching what we're watching and why are we so invested? It's because of family. It's because of love. It's because of this broader and bigger storyline that's then you know that's bigger than the sum of its pieces. That strong emotional core really helps ground this movie, which is the craziest thing to say, considering it's really like the first fantastical, quote-unquote, style Marvel film. You've got dragons, you've got creatures without faces, you've got all kinds of amazing things, but the storyline helps ground it and keep it investable. Is that a word? Investable? Keeps me invested in it and makes me want to continue being invested in the storyline. I think Marvel really, really pulled that off really well with this movie. I'm going to break down a couple of the characters real quick and give my two cents on them. I want to start with Wen Wu, who is Shang-Chi's father. He's the villain. He's the villain of the movie. He's essentially the bad guy of the movie. He controls the Ten Rings. He is has been known as the world's deadliest man or the world's da- most dangerous man. And he's the guy. He's the bad guy in this movie. I think his character is the most well-written character in this movie. I think this is a great step forward for solving Marvel's continuous villain problem that they've had for so, so long. This is a wonderful step in the right direction. Wenwu has purpose. He has an entire backstory and reasoning for the actions that he's taking and has always taken. We get a wonderful and really broad, big lens look into his life. We get a lot of flashbacks. We see a lot of the reasons for the decisions that he has made. And he's just a man that has made bad decisions in the name of the unwavering dedication that he has for the woman he loves. He will go to any length for the woman that he loves. And I think that character development, that kind of onion for Wenwu, if you will, makes him an excellent villain in the MCU. Some people are saying a top five villain. I don't have a top villains list right now, but I can tell you if I did, it'd go Mysterio, 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 Mysterio. Wenwu might fit into the fifth spot. I might have to give it to Quentin Beck, but Wenwu is up there. He's a wonderfully well-written villain. Speaking of which, speaking of a good villain that goes to any lengths to be with the one that he loves, great tie-in to What If Episode 4 with Strange and and Strange Supreme and his quest to be with the one that he loved, no matter what it cost him, and being at the mercy of all of his bad decisions. You can totally see a parallel and an overlap this movie and episode four of What If 
really at their core are just about men driven mad by the people that they love who will go to any length whatsoever to preserve what once was and in the face of what is to be or what is to come. So I thought that was a pretty cool crossover, a very interesting kind of storyline overlap of the two properties. Probably not super intentional, but I like that nonetheless. Xi Ling is another character that I wanted to hit on real quick. Probably the most badass person in the entire movie. Super sick weapon, super sick moves. She basically takes her life into her own hands and says, look, if you're not going to teach me martial arts and how to kill people, I'll just, I guess I'll just teach myself and I'll just do it better than you, which is amazing. And she was awesome. I think she also kind of played into this better written quote unquote villain. She's not the villain in the movie, but she has certain intentions and traumas that drive her to make certain decisions and I think that Shang-Chi actually suffered somewhat for the decisions that he made in his life as a as a child and as a younger version of himself. Xi Ling had trauma from that. And so we get to see some of that play out where in the ring, in kind of the, the death match, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it is that awesome scene with Abomination and Wong, who, by the way, just walk off into a portal like they're best friends. Does... What? What does this mean? Are we getting Abomination back? Is he on our team now? I don't know what that meant. But it's really cool to see her in the ring, Xiaoling in the ring, and basically say like, no, I, I was hurt that you made these decisions. You left me as a kid. And so you're going to pay for that. Uh, I am really big on this progressive storyline writing of our characters suffering for the, decision, the decisions that they make. And it has never happened really in the MCU, and it's starting to happen a lot more, and I really, really love it. The perfect amount of humor and jokes. It was on point. It was a one. Lots of really, really, really funny moments. The entire theater would bust out in laughter, and man, there's just nothing like the feeling of being at a brand new Marvel movie on an opening night with a fairly packed theater with everybody enjoying the moment that they're living in. I it was so fun and so cool to be part of that. And I just I've missed that a lot. I've really missed just going to the theater and having that big laugh with everybody and everybody's jaws hitting the floor when they see certain action scenes. That that was awesome. A lot of the humor definitely fell on Aquafina, so I could see that being a a drawback. She kind of is that humor crutch in the movie, but you got to hand it to her because she plays it well. She does it good and that's kind of how she's written. She does have some good character growth in the movie, so it's not like that constantly. Even though it does start out like that, she crushes it, though. So, you know, what are you going to do? It's it's perfect for the tone of the film, and it really fills that role quite good. Great original music that had some serious Black Panther vibes. Started listening to it in the car as soon as I got in the car. Let's talk about the final act and the post credit scenes. This is where the money's at. That final act was fucking awesome awesome. It was so cool. It was so busy, but it was so fantastical and jaw-dropping. It was honestly some of the coolest visuals that I think we've seen in the MCU yet. And I'm going to stand by that because I think it was some amazing stuff. You've got the Great Protector and all of these soul-sucking little Lord of the Rings dragons and just crazy, crazy stuff. 
all of those scenes, basically everything in the final act made me drop my jaw to the floor and be like, oh shit, that was cool. Like, that was dope. I kept patting my friend on his shoulder being like, dude, that's amazing. That's super cool. That's rad. It was really quite a final act. And you could criticize it for being a little too busy. I thought it was fun. I thought it worked out and I thought it was a real kind of shoot for the fences move that definitely got pulled off. I will say my gripe with the final act is Katie shooting the arrow through the the soul-sucking monsters throughout a little bit a little bit cheesy, a little bit cheesy. But again, how do you bring that monster down without being somewhat cheesy? It's either going to be her, it's going to be Shang-Chi or it's going to be Xiling. It uh, could have been Yingnan, which is kind of their mom's sister. Uh, could have brought it down. But regardless of who, who you would have chosen to defeat the monster, it was going to have to be some cheese, a little bit of cheese, just some baby cheese. So what are you going to do? It is what it is. I think, except for Endgame, that is the craziest third act of any MCU movie to date. And I'm going to stand by that. Again, I'm just standing firm on my calls right now because it was just raw fun. It was awesome. It was just really, really, really fun. And I'm going to get into a full MCU ranking swap after this because it's really making me rethink some things, but no doubt about it, blew its way into the top five. There's no question. I can't wait to see it again. I think it's an instant hit and probably one of the best standalone introduction movies of the universe. You could put it up there. Iron Man's always going to have that nostalgia. Captain America... I really like it. I think it's pretty good. But then you're talking other origins. This is probably the best one out there. I I think so. The post-credit scenes. Holy shit, the post-credit scenes, people. The first one where you get Captain Marvel and Bruce Banner. They just show up out of nowhere. I have so many questions. I have so many questions. How is Bruce no longer Hulk? He's no longer smart Hulk. Is he smart enough to know how to change between Bruce and the Hulk? What does any of that mean? Where is Captain Marvel going? What is the call that she is getting? Is it something that we need to be aware of? The biggest question, though, where is the beacon inside of the rings calling? Wong says there's a beacon and it's calling somewhere. And Shang-Chi says, but where is it calling? I don't know. I don't know. They implied it was older than like a thousand years old. So maybe could be something ancient-ish. Interesting. Will Shang-Chi be in the Multiverse of Madness? Now that he and Katie are with Wong. I That was my initial thought. Maybe it might be a little too soon for him to show up again in a film. But hey, you just, you never know. You never know. And that second post-credit scene, don't sleep on it. I think it could even be more impactful and more meaningful than the first post-credit scene. We now know that Xi Ling took over Wenwu's Ten Rings. This is huge because the entire movie, we were led to believe that Xi Ling wanted to basically take down the Ten Rings. She didn't agree with what her dad stood for, and she, like Shang-Chi, didn't have a great childhood and wanted to take him down, essentially. But she wanted to take him down because she wanted control of the Ten Rings. Holy crap. Unbelievable. There was some nice little foreshadowing. I've got to mention now that I think about it earlier in the movie when she says that if she can't have his empire, she'll make her own empire. I think that's a great little foreshadow saying, look, she's made her empire 
and now she gets his empire uh, because he's gone. So she's always the one that wants to rule the empire. Is is I mean, is she going to be the main villain of a Shang Chi sequel? Is she going to be something else, something bigger? Best theory that I've got right now. This is who the power broker was talking to. Xi Ling is who Sharon Carter, the power broker, was talking to at the end of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. You tell me that that doesn't raise some alarms. She checks all the boxes. She checks all the boxes. What did you think of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Let me know on Twitter at 15MinuteMarvel. It was awesome. I hope you have a wonderful experience watching this movie in the theater just like I did. It was just so, so much fun. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on any major podcast platform. And a huge shout-out to the patrons of the show, Brandon Clark and Hajir Shakib. Thank you so, so much. Just want to throw it out there super quick. Got some really, really fun episodes coming down the pipeline with some really cool guests. Be sure to look out for it. Go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything that's upcoming. It's going to blow your socks off. I will see you back here next time. I'm Ethan Simi. And remember, always go higher, further, and faster. Faster.